Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. What a pleasure to be together today. Today's show, we're going to be talking a little bit about, we're going to be talking about loneliness, love, and looking forward. Because for so many of us, the current situation, the current, the throbbing underneath the pulsing of the world, the world as we knew it one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, just no longer exists. And to stay in this kind of, let's just say limbo situation is for me intolerable, for everyone I'm running into intolerable. But guess what? There's love, there's looking forward, and despite the loneliness, there's a lot, a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. The tunnel keeps going. Uh, Let's see what else. We have a couple of upbeat stories today. And um, I don't know what's going on in your part of the world, but I do encourage you, indeed, drop me a note. Anything that we say today kind of sparks an interest, want to get a discussion going, any ideas for future shows, Uh, me and my friends, the people I come across, what their thoughts are about your thoughts, send me a note, Andrea at Israel News Talk Radio dot com. Let's see what else. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to tell you the idea behind today's show in terms of loneliness was I had a very uncomfortable discussion this week with somebody um, about wanting to be alone, liking to be alone versus um, not uh, run the world. I like being alone because a lot of my work is with people and uh, so I, I really enjoy those uh alone times. So, and someone else said to me, oh, I can't bear being alone. Hate it, hate it, hate it. And got to be surrounded with people, surrounded with people. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. What I and my crowd, my chevra, that's your work of the day, the chevra, have been doing about loneliness. My name is Andrea Simintov. Guess what? I'll see you on the other side. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio israel is located in one of those volatile areas in the world israel is an island of stability in a sea of war and unrest in the midst of this turmoil israel stands out as a beacon of order and human progress each week we update you on what's happening in this the jewish state a true light unto the nations This is Jay Shapiro. Join me every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. And we're back. Andrea Semenchov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Let's see, who's listening? That was .com. I realize I'm 
cutting off the ends of my words because I'm so excited to be here. So we have to say it is late at night, early in the morning to the U.S. U.S. listeners are with us today. Boketov Eretz Israel, Canada. Isn't it cold there in Canada tonight? It's so cold. And the Philippines are with us today and the U.K. is listening in. And if you are listening in from somewhere else, drop me a note. Let me know where you're listening in from and what's going on in your neck of the woods. Okay, so um, as many of you know, say <laughs> this show, what are we hanging out in Andrea's living room? No, in my kitchen, in my kitchen, we're actually going to talk about the kitchen a bit. I'm telling you, I have this idea that one day I'm absolutely going to beg the uh, the gods at Israel News Talk Radio and tell them that I'm going to do a podcast cooking show. Okay, it's going to be called Winging It with Andrea. And um, because I've been thinking a lot about cooking and the pandemic. Some people I see all of these all over Jerusalem as if the traffic isn't terrible enough. We're tripping, we're driving all over these delivery services. People are literally having salads delivered. And I have to choose, I'm sorry, the coffee is coming up on me. I have to choose not to be judgmental. We're actually gonna talk a little bit about that and say like, why are these people delivering a salad? Can't you just make your own salad? But you know what? A lot has to do with communication, connection, and perhaps the idea that we don't want to disappear. Um, let me know your thoughts about that. Okay, came across a great quote. We have some episodes going on in Israel right now, some very uncomfortable, very sad, very scary episodes having to do with um, well, the most terrible incidences of abuse, abuse perpetrated by the most trusted members of our society. That is about all I'm going to cover on this show, because this is the fun show. Nevertheless, a certain quote by Rabbi David Gottlieb, I believe he's in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Rabbi Gottlieb, and he gave a talk on a Friday night or Shabbos day, and he was quoted as saying, the best friend of an abuser is silence. And I have to tell you, that resonates with me. Especially, we come from a, the Jewish world, the Jewish community. We're very, very careful about the, the sin, the avera of spreading something called Lashan Hara. Um, really, you know, evil talk, dissing, spreading rumors, uh, truth and not truth, just not speaking kindly. And in many cases, this um, this obligation to protect reputations and to not speak evilly about people has sometimes backfired and allowed evil to exist in our midst. And there are authorities taking care of uh, some of the uglier incidents. And I tell so many of us know those who have survived various kinds of heinous abuse. And I want to know what you think about this. The best friend of an abuser is silence. And that really kind of resonated with me. All right. Lahav deal, flip side, in a Israeli aha or woohoo moment. We knew our woohoos. Israel came across this this week. Uh, breakthrough surgery restores a blind woman's vision. It is true. This is not science fiction. It's never science fiction. It's Eretz Israel, the land of Israel where miracles are happening. And there was, no, I don't remember how this woman's first name. I must have cut out. A, uh, an Arab woman, 
I don't know. She's from Nazareth. I don't know if she's Christian or Muslim. She is not Jewish. Um, and she, in Israel, she received a revolutionary surgery using material from her bone to form a new cornea. I can't, oh yeah, here's her name, Hanen, Hanen Awad. She was not eligible to undergo the conventional treatments for her conditions, you know, synthetic cornea transplants, as so many of us have either had or might be having one day. And it kind of led the physicians to come up with an innovative replacement for this patient. Um, so according to this Dr. Eitan Livni, he said that there are no good solutions nowadays in the world except for artificial corneas, adding that in Awad's particular case, factors with the patient's eyes stopped her from receiving the usual transplant. Clearly, what I'm, what I'm understanding from this article is she had had sight. She wasn't blind forever. She lost it. A team of four doctors from Balenson Hospital in Petach Tikva in Israel, they restored her vision. But instead, they carved a new cornea for her using material taken from her shin bone. I, I, I can't get over it. Are any of you as wild as I am? And according to, uh, to Awad, they told me it was over and I had to remain blind for my whole life. But here in Balenson, I've been told that I could get surgery. I found new hope. And following the operation, Awad was able to see the face of her grandson who was born while she was blind for the first time. I was so moved until now all I could do is touch and hug him and now I eventually saw him. At the end of the day there will be light she said and in the end I saw light. All right and you know what we're thinking because we can't resist saying it for those who accuse us of being an apartheid state. I wonder if Hanane Awad would agree. I am pretty certain not. All right. We mentioned at the beginning of the show, in case you're just tuning in, my name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Israel News Talk Radio. I just get the goosebumps thinking about it. Seriously, what a place, what a station, what a mitzvah, what a gift. Uh, what a gift at this time. All right. We'll be back after this break. And now, an INTR music break with Lenny Solomon and the Schlockrock Band from schlockrock.com. It's some of the best Jewish family music.
The Tamar Yona Show. Tamar, she's sassy. She's smart. She's funny. But she's also a real Jewish mother. Hi, everybody. I'm Tamar Yona. And yes, I can be all of those things. But at Israel News Talk Radio, I'm here to bring you the news stories and guests that you may not hear anywhere else. Join me live on air Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays for the most unique and bold talk radio in Israel. The Tamar Yona Show. Hi. Okay, we are back. Andrea Simonchov, pull up a chair. Very excited to be with you. We have a few apologies for the technical glitches, and we're kind of, you know, during this, <laughs> I think my computer has COVID. Um, we are, I'm kind of revamping my studio, new microphones, new computers, new connection methodology, and it's all so hard for me. Okay. We talked a little bit about loneliness and um, what we can do about it because it's not a way of being. It's not a state to live. And I'm thinking about choice. And I remember thinking there's loneliness, there's love, and there's looking forward. We're going to talk, when we talk later about the Parsha, we're going to talk about um, choice, the choices that Paro, Pharaoh, the the, uh, king of Egypt makes, choices that the Jewish people make but choices that we can make. And I came across a lovely discussion called Choosing the Eyes of Love. And of course, you will forgive me for paraphrasing, but I wrote my own words based on what I read, Choosing the Eyes of Love, Seeing with a Loving Eye, very consistent with Torah thought. And what this idea of choosing with eyes of love uh, raises is that what we see is not objective. We never see raw reality, pure, like space-time, unadulterated, unpoisoned. What we see always is our interpretation of reality, filtered, if I may say, like through a lens of our experiences and our conditioned worldview, our financial state, our religion, our upbringing, our biases, our ethnicities, always the way we look at things has to shape what we see. So thus said, often the lens we mistake for a magnifying glass, oh, I see, I see, turns out to be merely a warped mirror. We see others not the way they are, but as we are. I must tell you that when I'm coaching and I speak with people and they tell me what other people say about them or say about things, the answer inevitably always is the speaker is always speaking about themselves, regardless of what they are opining upon. Um, You know, we all know that horrible hollow feeling of being seen by another, not the way we are, but being misunderstood and misinterpreted in our motives and at the core of our being. It's a service to reality to see with greater clarity, greater objectivity, and greater interpretation. It's a service to other human beings in this indeed warped world to look at them confused and self-centered as others may be with the eyes of love and to resist for as long as possible letting our 
can I use the word, cataracts of judgment muck up our views. To place the wish to understand above the wish to be right and to see this is according, I just love this quote, by Thich Nhat Han. He's a, a Vietnamese monk. His saying is, understanding is love's other name. It is the greatest gift we can give to one another. Hmm. Who knew that a Vietnamese monk actually would be spewing Torah? Okay, we talked a little bit in the first segment, if it didn't get cut up and chopped out. I love to cook. When I cook, I'm at home. A lot of people I know, a lot of Torah-observant Jews, they say, I wasted all of Friday cooking. Well, you know what? I never have that feeling. I work all week. I work hard. I have three jobs, and I love my radio show and preparing, and I'm a grandma and a wife and a mother, and I have a lot of stuff to do. And Friday morning comes, and I lay out all the bounty from my refrigerator, all the bounty from the pantry, and I think... I turn on whether it be classical music, whether it be Hasidic music, or whether it be southern bluegrass. I then sink knee deep into my world. And so I came across others who think like me that cooking can be a recipe for contentment, that during this period, especially when so much is unknown, so much is unclear, to sit and involve ourselves, how to make food with care and attention, takes that daily ritual and can make it something that we can connect to one another, rewarding and indeed a meditative experience. I'm not going to take too long on this subject because I love to cook and not everybody listening here does. By the way, did you know that most of the world's, the great majority of the world's great chefs are male? Hmm. It's interesting because perhaps it's sexist. I always see when I think of the great cooks, I think of a bubby grandma wearing a too small apron, okay, and shoving food. Come here, Kendala. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Okay. Um, you know, what makes the days worth living are doing things today, not slapdash, not fast. We have the time. But to do things slowly, even if it's only making an omelet. So I think about that. In these days, one of the ways that I myself am bringing a lot of calmness, a lot of peace to our home here, our weird home, where suddenly my home, my husband is home because of recent hospitalization. Food is a big, we write out the menu, we talk about it, and I even have this big bruiser of a guy chopping and slicing the vegetables. They're not so aesthetic, but he's chopping the vegetables. Okay? So I just wanted to share that and send me your recipes. Let me know what you're doing and what role food is playing in your life during this terrible period in human history. Not terrible period, uncertain period in human history. Okay. Came across also, oh, I see, I want to hurry up and get to really what I really want to talk about. There's a lot of self-education going on. I have a son who did not graduate high school, but he did graduate college with honors. And one of the things that had me so frustrated as a very traditional mom was he was self-educating himself. He decided that the education system really was too tedious for him. He learns differently. Um, and 
I came across an understanding about self-education, as so many of us today are, and it says that creative genius involves a willingness to teach ourselves about a wide variety of subjects rather than being spoon-fed by teachers only in our chosen fields of endeavor. I got to think about that. It's, there's actually a name for this. I think it's called autodidact. Autodidactics is when we self-teach that um, people who are read widely, not only in their chosen areas of expertise, but also in other subjects, um, are self-actualizing and becoming polymaths. Very interesting. We don't have to waste that computer time. We don't have to waste that cyberspace interaction. We can learn and grow because nobody's spoon feeding us anything. All right. Came across a discussion of resolutions for a life worth living. Again, attainable aspirations. Let's not waste our time. Great life-tested wisdom on how to live from one of my favorite authors, James Baldwin, uh, Leo Tolstoy, the Greek philosopher Seneca, Walt Whitman, Viktor Frankl, others. <sighs> Hannah Arendt. I never read her stuff. She was a philosopher and a survivor of the Shoah, the Holocaust. And she was known to encourage people to love without fear of loss. What does that mean? According to Arendt, we will lose everything we love, including our lives. So we may as well love without fear, for to fear a certainty is wasted energy that siphons life of aliveness. Fearlessness is what love seeks. I loved that. I should say, no friend of Israel, no friend of the Jews. Nevertheless, her books, if you're studying writing, you got to do some Toni Morrison. She talks about physicality. And I loved this. Love your hands, love them, raise them up and kiss them, touch others with them, pat them together, stroke them on your face, love your mouth, this is flesh, flesh that needs to be loved, feet that need to rest and to dance, backs that need support, shoulders that need arms, strong arms, love your neck, put a hand on it, grace it, stroke it and hold it up. And all of our inside parts that they just as soon slop for hogs. You've got to love them. That dark, dark liver. Love it. Love it. And the beat and beating heart. Love that too. More than eyes or feet. More than lungs that have yet to draw free air. More than your life-holding womb and your life-giving private parts. Love your heart. For this is the prize. And in our last moment, I'd like to quote Leo Tolstoy. I'm telling you, I'm high from this week's reading. Leo Tolstoy says that one of the saddest tendencies in our present culture is an indignant intolerance for the basic humanity of being human. People of the past are harshly judged by the standards of the present which their own difficult lives helped establish, and people of the present are harshly judged by impossible and hypocritical standards of uniform perfection across all regions of private and public existence. He began his calendar of wisdom, daily thoughts to nourish the soul, with a compendium of quotations by great thinkers. But first of all, 
telling us that the kinder and more thoughtful a person is, the more kindness he can find in other people. And to finish with my favorite James Baldwin, James Baldwin tells us, have a tenderness, have a tenderness for how hard it is to be human. My name is Andrea Simintov, and James Baldwin gave me my Shabbos and how hard it is to be human. And guess what? I'll see you on the other side. In a time where feelings have become fact, where rational thought and common sense has disappeared, one man stands above it all. I'm Howie Sobaker, your political hitman. Political Hitman airs every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. North American Time, 7 a.m. Israeli Time, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Are you interested in transforming your life, drawing closer to the Creator, and uncovering the deeper meanings and hidden treasures in the Hebrew Bible? Then join me, Rav Yitzhak Michelson, and me, William Hall, on the Science of Kabbalah, where we are seeking to narrow the gap between what we understand of our physical and spiritual worlds. So make sure to tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Israel Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, here on Israel News Talk Radio. back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. This is my favorite segment of the show, always is, when we get to talk about Parsha, the Torah portion, and indeed how it relates to our real world. Um, it's not a book to remain up on the shelf and has no connection to today. So uh, I'm just going to start. There's something I came across before I delve a little deeply into the actual Parsha, and that's the portion, and you should know that by now, okay, because you're fluent. Um, something that just struck me, that in the middle of this narrative, we see that, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, is standing in front of Paro, he's pleading his case, and in the middle of all of this narrative and Paro's apparent relenting, what happens? The narrative of the text turns to halacha, Jewish law. It's it's a little kooky. So B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, we receive our first mitzvah with the commandment in the middle of this Torah portion of Rosh Chodesh, that's celebrating the new month. And then there are an additional, I counted, 19 other mitzvot, including but not limited to the Korban Pesach, that's the Passover offering, the eating of matzah, the sanctification of the firstborn, to fill in, those are the phylacteries, and instructing one's children in the ways of the Torah. The question which springs to mind is, why this commercial interruption? So, number one, let's get it out of our minds. We've spoken about it before. The Torah is not a history book. It is not the ebb and flow of the human story. Deliberately. The narrative is deliberately 
jumpy based on what God wants to teach us at this moment. Now, the more exciting explanation, of course, to me is brought down in a midrash. And it says in Hebrew, Moshe Yidaber the Elohim Yaneinu Bikol. Each person heard the voice according to his own capabilities. The sages note that Hashem does not speak to Am Yisrael here, the people of Israel, with his voice, but rather with a voice, emphasizing that he spoke to each person according to his or her intellectual capacity. That's why the narrative talks a lot about educating our children. It is the duty of the father to teach his son according to the son's intelligence. And just wait till Passover when we start talking about the four sons. I just found that fascinating. So the tefillin, we all know now that the the, 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 the tefillin um, phylacteries, try, try saying that three times fast, um, the one on the hand, we call it of the hand, the arm, the hand, it contains a single piece of parchment with all four passages of the Torah written upon it. Okay, you're doing the math. One piece of parchment, four passages of the Torah. While the tefillin of the head contains four separate pieces of parchment, each in its own compartment. So there are a lot of sources about this. But in the book Torah Gems, I don't know if it's still in print. You can get it online. um, There's a comment that says, When it comes to ideas as symbolized by the tefillin of the head, there can be a multiplicity with each person thinking as he sees fit. But when it comes to action as symbolized by the tefillin of the hand, division is a sin and our actions must be united and unified. I'd like that to be, perhaps we should call that our, from the Torah to our table this week. Maybe uh, talk about what's the benefit of united action as juxtaposed to individuality of thought. Hmm. Okay, so in this week's reading, it highlights this final contentious debate between Moshe and the Paro of Egypt. So in the opening sentence that actually introduces this drama, it describes that Moshe should somehow come to Paro, that's the word Bo, Bo, come here, and warn him of the consequences that that the continuing oppression of the Jewish people will bring upon him and his nation. Paro has been warned. So the Hebrew text lends itself in this reading that Moshe should somehow come to Paro. Moshe is supposed to get to Paro's palace and gain some sort of understanding that will explain the stubbornness and masochism that dominates Paro's relationship with the Jewish people and that that kind of abject refusal to release them from his subjugation. What is extremely puzzling um, is that Paro is supposed to be a leader. We sometimes think about leaders as being a tad wiser, having at least compassion, a tad of compassion to understand the various aspects of their subjects, their communities. So he's got this adamant refusal to listen to the words of his own officers, his own advisors who tell him Egypt is lost. 
Despite everything, despite the plagues, the advice of his highly paid consultants, the imminent destruction of Israel, of Egypt, excuse me, that Paro is undoubtedly aware of, he continues on a course that can only be, what should we say? It's suicidal. He finds it impossible to save himself and his people from further tragedy. This is the feeling of blind hatred, paralyzing. So what, what, is, what is driving him? The Torah is going to give us the answer. Very simply, it says it in the text. The Lord has hardened the heart of Paro to such an extent that no matter what blows will be visited upon him, what punishment, what heavenly rage, and what the cost to Egypt will be, he will persevere. He will enforce the policy of enslavement over the Jews. Paro, he's completely lost control of his situation. Heaven is intervening, and Paro is, has his dukes raised, and the fight is on. So because of these circumstances, the hardening of his heart by heaven, we have this moral question. This is raised by Rabbi Beryl Wine and, and of course, other commentators. If free will has been taken away from Paro, then how can he be held accountable for his actions? Heaven's in charge. Why should the Egyptian people be punished if they really have no choice but to pursue the cause of enslaving the Jewish people? So there are a lot of ideas advanced on this. And um, it's clear that the Torah informs us that there is a point of no return regarding the behavior of nations and individuals. Let's look at our world around us. Once that line is crossed, even though initially there is a matter of free will, there's no longer any way to avoid the consequences of their choice. It's kind of like, I love this, this, this analogy, to missing an exit on a superhighway and finding that there's no other road that can lead you back to the correct direction. The hardening of the heart of Paro recognizes that set of choices that he originally made by enslaving the Jewish people, refusing to listen to the words and warnings by others. He made that choice in his own heart. He suffers the consequences of his behavior. He missed the exit and he cannot return to the correct path and direction. His voice has been silenced. Okay, um, life itself resembles a series of doors. We successfully open one door and we discovered that it's not the only door, there's other doors, a series of doors behind the original one. That's what the challenges of being free are to a, a large extent. It's even more challenging than being locked into a life of servitude. Here in this parsha, we're witness to the Torah's recording of these 40 years of the desert until there arises a generation of Jews that are able to meet the challenge of establishing themselves as a functioning nation entirely in the promised land of Israel. The word bo, which serves as the headline of this week's parsha, coming, it's the beginning, not a sense of finality and an end. Our existence is measured not in years, but in decades. 
if not centuries. Faith is required. It's what God means when he tells Moshe at the beginning of the redemption process that Israel will accept the Torah at Sinai and he will eventually bring them to the land that he promised to their forefathers. Why bother Moshe with these promises when people are under a lash of slavery? God informs Moshe that freedom from slavery is only the beginning of the Jewish story and not its culmination. Our modern story of Israel, it wasn't over in 1948. It wasn't over in 1967. The realization of this stark truth and taking it under our skin can fire us to greater understanding and a firmer belief and behavior in the justice of our cause, the holiness, and the eternity of our nation, and of course, our eventual triumph over our adversaries. In ending, I want to wish everyone listening in a Shabbat Shalom and saying, let's develop a new kind of kindness, a new understanding, and what we live and what we believe and taking the words of Torah to heart. We can change the world just as it began to change years and years ago with our exit from Egypt. My name is Andrea Simintov, and I wish you a Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Holy Jerusalem. can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.
news, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 